You can turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, students, if you are looking for an industry or career to get involved in that will make you a lot of money, there are a few choices better than the self-help industry. Go write a book about how people can find success in life. In 2014, just here in the United States, we spent $10 billion on self-help books. $10 billion. They sell like hotcakes. Who Moved My Cheese, the greatest name of any self-help book ever, has sold 26 million copies so far. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, 20 million copies. The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, 20 million copies. We buy these books because we want to know how to succeed in life. Everyone wants to know how to be a success in life. The problem is there's so many different opinions out there. So Reba McIntyre, she's got three things for you to do if you want to be a success in life. To succeed in life, you need three things. A wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone. I'm a preacher. I like that. It rhymes. It goes together. It's memorable. It's a little cliche, though. It's going to be hard to build like a whole life off of that one statement. Um, Mark Twain actually made it even shorter. He boiled it down to just two things. To succeed in life, you need two things, ignorance and confidence. And that would be funny if it wasn't so true. That is a perfect description of the reason for why we find our nation in the midst of this election cycle. There it is. Well, Twain got it down to two. Oprah got it down to one. You know you are on the road to success if you would do your job and not be paid for it. And that is wonderful for a billionaire media mogul to say. <laughs> but for all of us average people, that's really depressing. Because we wake up on Monday morning and dread another work week ahead. And here is the saddest and shortest of all. Stay away from love to succeed in life. And the guy even put his picture on the advertisement. And I just wonder, man, what happened to this guy to make him so jaded in life? I started doing research this week for this sermon on success in life. And truly, I I was amazed to see how many different opinions there are out there by so-called experts. And how many of them contradict one another. So I saw that there were a lot of psychologists who told you that that to succeed in life, you must set goals. Every day you got to set goals. But then there were other psychologists equally qualified that said to succeed in life, you must not set goals because it'll make you too inflexible. You can't strike when opportunity knocks. And then I noticed that there were psychologists who said the key to succeeding in life is you spend time every day visualizing a successful future. You picture yourself succeeding and you'll be successful. But then there were equally qualified psychologists who said, you must not do that. Don't visualize the future. It will steal your ambition in the present. And it made me just sit there and wonder, golly, if only we had one clear authoritative guide to success. And we do. You know where this is headed. You're smart people. That's what this book is. God is a God of revelation. He likes to speak. And so he has revealed to us in the pages of this book what success looks like. If you want to live a life that is successful in the eyes of God, this is your one authoritative guide. And particularly the passage we're going to look at this morning. Chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 is the heart of the book. It's the core of Paul's message to Timothy. And it's focused on this question. How do we live a successful life? Paul's going to boil it down to four things. Four steps for a follower of Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, if you will do these four things, 
it will make you a success in life in the eyes of God. And so let's jump right in. Let's learn what it means to be a success in life according to God. Step number one, if you want to succeed in life, be strong in grace. Look at verse one. Paul says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. My son, Paul's not talking to Timothy like a boss to an employee. He's speaking as a father. This is fatherly advice about how to live a good life, a successful life. And he says, be strong in the grace. Now, be strong. In Greek, it's what we call a passive tense verb. And when you hear passive tense, that takes you back to junior high grammar class, which you really did not enjoy. And you thought, finally, I'll never have to think about tenses of verbs again. But here's, here's the deal, folks. Sometimes your entire eternity hinges on the tense of a verb. And in this case, it does. It's very, very significant that that is passive tense. Passive tense means that you are receiving strength from outside of yourself. Paul's not saying make yourself strong. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, there's no self-made men or women in the kingdom of God. No, it's passive tense. Timothy, receive strength from outside of yourself, from the grace of God. Let it strengthen you. Find your strength for making it through today. In the grace of God. Now grace, we've talked about that for many weeks in a row. It's like the most common thing I talk about. So grace is when you receive something good that you don't deserve. So what good things have you received from God that you don't deserve? Well, literally everything. Every single thing that is good in your life without exception comes from God. Here's what James says, chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Everything in your life that you say, wow, that is good, it's from God. Absolutely all of it is from God. All the good things you were born with, your intellect, your looks, your strength, your wit, all of that was a gift from God to you. All of the things that you've accumulated in life, your education, your credentials, your skills, your wealth, your, your property, all of that is from God. He's made it all possible for you. And your future, the hope you have in eternity, that is from God. God is our Savior. And so everything good in your life has come from God. And Paul says clearly, it's grace, it's a gift that's come to you in Jesus Christ. Absolutely everything good in your life has come from God the Father through Jesus Christ to you. It's a gift that Jesus has made possible for you because you don't deserve anything good from God. None of us do. We don't deserve good from God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, for the wrath, the punishment of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. It's a very sad verse. It's reminding us that we are unrighteous. We think and say and do things which are not good, which are not right. God is holy. He is just. He must punish sin and evil. So that means that what we deserve from God is punishment. And so what did Jesus do? When he came to earth and went onto the cross, that was about absorbing punishment for you. Jesus went to the cross to take all of the bad from God that we deserved. He took all of the punishment that our sin, our evil had earned for us. He absorbed all of the punishment from God that we deserved so that God in grace could give us good. 
all the good in your life, everything, not just eternal life, but every single good thing in your life was earned for you by Jesus on the cross. And it all comes to you through grace. The grace of God, the gift of God, of everything good in your life. God makes that grace available to every person on earth. Jesus died for all human sins, and yet God does not force his grace on anyone. You must receive it. You must say, yeah, God, I want that. He'll respect your free will. You can say no. Will you instead receive it? For some of you, that will mean receiving God's grace for the first time. Maybe you're here this morning and you just assumed that you had God's grace and eternal life and all that stuff because you're an American or because you were baptized as a baby or because you come to church, you're a generally good person. All of a sudden, hopefully you realize that's not how grace works. No one deserves it. You deserve punishment from God, not good from God. Or maybe you recognize that you need grace from God. You need good from God, and so you're trying to earn it. That's actually why you got out of bed and came to church this morning. You are trying to earn brownie points with God. And you do good things, and you give money to the poor because you're trying to please God, so he will give you grace. Hopefully you recognize that's not how grace works. Grace is a gift. You do not earn it. Jesus earned it for you. All you have to say is yes. All you must do to receive the grace of God for the first time is just say, God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to take my punishment and my place on the cross. Thank you for raising him from the dead so that I can have life and have everything good in my life. Thank you. The moment you say that to God, you receive grace from him. Now, for most of us, we've received that grace. We've believed in Jesus and received all this grace from God. So the challenge of verse 1 for us is to find our strength each and every day in the grace we've already received through Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. At some point, your life is going to get difficult if it's not already. And in that moment of difficulty, when you have a bad day, the question is, where do you turn to find strength? Do you look to yourself? So life gets bad and you look to your intellect, your wealth, your good looks, your popularity, your influence, your accomplishments to make you feel good about yourself, to find strength and confidence to make it through another day. If you look to yourself to make it through life, you are going to be disappointed. You will fail yourself. This is one of the primary lessons God has been teaching me over the last three years. He's been using pain and discouragement and depression and all of these things in my life to convince me I am actually not nearly as strong or wise as I thought I was. I'm actually weak and broken and brittle. And if you think otherwise of yourself, you just haven't lived long enough yet. At some point, you will break and you will see how weak and needy you are. Because we are all in need of God's strength. We are not nearly as strong as we think we are. We are all clay pots. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Have you ever potted a plant or or planted a, a bush or something in a clay pot? And you picked it up to move it from one place to another. And you dropped it from anything over an inch. What happened? It shattered. They have no strength in and of themselves. That's what Paul is saying. You are. You are the jar of clay. You are not strong. You are not tough. Now drop from anything over an inch and you shatter all over the place. 
Take it from a guy who thought he was going to be the next Thomas Edison or Henry Ford. We are clay, nothing more. And so we cannot find strength in ourselves. We've got to look outside of ourselves to find the strength we need to make it through the day. And so Paul is challenging us. If you want to make it through the trials of life, you must learn to find your strength in the grace God has already given you in Jesus Christ. Now notice again, it's, it's past tense. It's about the grace you've already received. Men and women, it's important to recognize if you've trusted in Jesus, you don't need more grace from God. You've already received all grace from God. You, you have it all. If you don't feel like God's being gracious to you, it's because you're not seeing truth. So you need to stop and you need to remember for a moment. You need to remember all that God has done for you. So when I have a bad day, when I feel anxious, when I feel fearful, when I feel lonely, when I feel discouraged, if I am making a good decision, I will stop in that moment of discouragement and I will remember. I'll remember the grace God showed me when he created the universe. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. The sunsets at night, the beauty of the trees in my backyard. I see God's grace through creation. Then I remember the grace God gave me in the little things. A house to live in, clothes to wear, food to eat, air to breathe. And then I remember the grace that God has shown me through his son Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross for my sins, took my punishment in my place. Then I remember the grace God shows me in the name he uses for himself. What does God call himself? Father. He's like creator, almighty, leader of angel armies. We were saying, yeah, all that's true. But what does he primarily call himself towards you? Your dad. That's a term of endearment, of love, of care. And so I stop and I remember all of these amazingly gracious truths about God and it gives me strength. Now I can face the stress, the fear, the loneliness, the worry because I've been strengthened by remembering the grace God has already given me in Jesus Christ. So if you want to be a success in life, you must daily practice this discipline of stopping and remembering all of the grace God has given you in life. That's where we start with God's grace. We remember it. That's step number one. Step number two to living a successful life. You pass the baton. Look with me at verse two. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. These things which you have heard from me. Well, Paul and Timothy had spent years together at this point. So this is a lot of stuff. Paul's talking about the whole Christian faith, centered on the gospel, but, but really everything that the Bible teaches, the heavy stuff like the Trinity and the daily stuff, like how to have a good marriage, how to be a good parent, all of that stuff that you have learned through scripture about Christianity, Timothy is to take all of that and pass it on. Now it says specifically to men because Timothy's a man. If it was to a woman, it would be to women. The same command is to all of us. We're to take all that we have received of the Christian faith and entrust it to those who will pass it on. Now, entrust, that, that word in Greek, it, it means that you have something really valuable to you, really precious. And you take that precious thing and you carefully put it into the hands of the next person who's going to guard it until they put it in the hands of the next person who's going to guard it. And if you want an, an object lesson, an image for this idea of entrusting, think relay race. 
This is our metaphor for the Christian life. What is your life? It is a relay race that started with Jesus and will continue until he comes back and you are just one leg in this race. Now, if you're in a relay race, really popular event, they put it towards the end of the Olympics because it's so popular. They pull some of the best runners from every nation to compete. If you're in a relay race, what is the most important rule? Do not drop the baton. Above all else, you drop the baton, you don't get to pick it up and keep running. No, you're done. Your team is disqualified. They say that the worst sound ever in the ears of a relay runner is the sound aluminum makes when it bounces off the track. Just, just heart shattering. Feels awful to watch it sail through your hands. Only thing that would feel worse than this is this. I have no idea how this happened to our team some years ago. The most important thing in a relay race is don't drop the baton. Even if you have to run your leg a little bit slower so that you receive the baton safely and pass it on safely, that's the most important thing. Okay, so that is your mission in life. You are called by God to run this relay race, to receive the Christian faith from those who came before you and pass it on to the next generation. So here I am, and I have some amazingly faithful runners behind me. And my parents, who raised me in the faith, took me to Bible church before I could even talk or walk, taught me the gospel, taught me how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible. Then I have my youth pastor in high school who helped me find my spiritual gifts and use them. Then I have Brian Fisher who discipled me and taught me what it means to be a pastor. I have these incredibly faithful runners behind me who have carefully handed me the baton. Now I want to make sure I don't drop it. That becomes my primary goal in life. Pass on this precious baton of the Christian faith to the next generation. That's what my life is about. Don't drop it. Make sure that I carefully pass this Christian faith I have received to the next generation. So that's why I'm doing this. Why do I preach? It's not exactly fun. I do it because I want through my preaching somehow to pass a little bit of the baton onto you. That's my goal. I don't care whether you're impressed by me or like what I say. I just hope that a little bit of the baton gets into your hands so that you can take it and pass it on to the next generation. That's what this is all about. This is why we share the faith, so that we can identify and raise up new followers of Jesus who can take the gospel to the next generation and the next generation until every nation is reached. This is why we do everything as a church, to somehow pass the baton, because that is our mission in life. That's why you're here. Everything else is secondary to this. Everything else in the Christian life, you're going to do better in heaven. Worship, prayer, Bible study, all that better in heaven. You'll be with God. The one thing you can't do in heaven, pass the baton, because you're done when you get to heaven. That's why God has left you here. You are in a relay race. You are called to receive the baton of the Christian faith and pass it carefully to the next generation. And if you are a parent, that begins with your kids. My primary job description is not pastor to all of you. It is dad to Luke and Gracie. In God's eyes, that is the primary goal for me as their dad is to pass the baton of the Christian faith to them. For Julie and I, we want to make sure we do not drop the baton. That's really our goal as parents, just make sure we pass the baton to our kids. As parents, that's our chief responsibility. Parents, you cannot farm that out to the church or to a school. You can get help, but you cannot be replaced. You are their parents 
It is your job above all else to pass on the Christian faith you have received to your kids. That's your chief responsibility in life. And so let me stand on a soapbox for a moment because I get to do that occasionally. Um, I I am not a fan of when uh, the culture that we live in labels stay-at-home moms as unemployed or news articles that say they have left the workforce. Now, I am not for or against moms working outside the home. you, You come to your own conviction before the Lord on that. My point is simply that a mom who chooses to stay at home and raise her kids is not unemployed. She has not left the workforce. No, actually, she is on the front lines of the most important work she'll ever do. Passing the baton of faith to the next generation. That's the most important thing any of us will do. Whether you're a parent or a single college adult, whoever you are, the most important thing you will do on this planet, besides trusting in Jesus as your Savior, is passing the baton of the Christian faith to the next generation. That it might be your kids, that might be your grandkids, that might be a roommate or a classmate, a neighbor, an acquaintance. It might be an unbeliever who you're, you're just trying to pass the basics right now. You're just trying to pass the gospel to them. Or it might be a believer who is younger in the faith than you are and you're passing on to them theology and, and the Bible and practical Christian living. That is why you are here on earth to pass the baton to the next generation. So very practically, let me ask you, Who are you passing the baton to right now? Picture in your mind one or more people who you are actively, intentionally passing the baton of the Christian faith to. If your answer is no one, that's not good. That needs to change. In God's eyes, you are currently unemployed. Because your primary mission on earth is to make disciples of Jesus, to pass the baton. So you need someone. So begin to pray. That God will open your eyes to see someone he has brought into your life who you can pass the baton of the faith to. Again, that might be an unbeliever. You're passing the gospel to that person. It might be a believer and you are training them and mentoring and helping them to know God and walk with God like you do. Every single one of us are here on earth to pass the baton of the Christian faith to the next generation. That's your mission in life. That's step number two to success. You cannot succeed in life if you don't do this. You drop the baton and you're done. Got to pass the baton to the next generation. Third step to living a successful life. You got to endure the pain. Look with me at verse three. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That word hardship in Greek, it's not necessarily persecution for your Christian faith, though it would include that. Hardship is a really broad word. It means any of the pains, any of the suffering that comes into your life simply because you live in this world. It's just talking about the hardness of life and a broken world. And the point is all of us are going to suffer hardship. In fact, every single person on earth is going to suffer hardship. Life isn't easy for anyone. All 7 billion people on this planet live a hard life. That's a truth that Job pulls out for us. People are born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. Go look at a campfire, which direction the sparks go? Always up. So it is with the human life. Every single person who has ever lived on this planet lived a hard life. A painful life. Full of suffering because we live in a broken world. I like how the Dread Pirate Roberts so eloquently put it, life is pain, highness, anyone who sells differently is selling something. 
That is absolutely true. It could be in the Bible. It is so, so absolutely true. Life is painful for everyone. And so here's the deal. How you respond to that reality that life is painful will depend largely on your expectations. What did you expect to find in this life? Did you expect happiness? Did you expect comfort and ease? Well, then when life gets hard, which it will for all of us, you're going to be disappointed and crushed. Or, like Paul is challenging, did you expect a soldier's life? A hard life, full of sacrifice, full of of degradation, full of difficulty. If you expected that, then when life gets hard, you will not be surprised. You'll be ready for it. Paul is trying to frame our expectations because he realizes you can respond well to hardship if you're expecting it. How you respond to the pain of life, it is built on your expectations. If you allow yourself to expect a civilian's life full of comfort and ease, then you're going to be crushed when the war comes. But if you expect a soldier's life, if that's how you see yourself, then you'll be ready when life gets hard. And the point that Paul's making in verse 3, very clearly, very very absolutely crystal clear, is that there are no civilians in the kingdom of God. There are only soldiers in God's family. God has no room for civilians in his kingdom. We are all called to be soldiers, suffering and willing to die for the gospel. Now, for some of you, that will mean literally going to a foreign country, sharing the gospel, and dying for it. God will call some of you to do that. Others, he'll call to stay here in College Station all your life and share the gospel here. Whether you go or whether you stay, we are all soldiers. None of us are civilians. We're called to be soldiers in the family of God, enduring the suffering that all soldiers face. If you will flip that switch in your mind and see your life through that reality, then it will help you to endure suffering when it comes. If you see yourself as a soldier, if that's your primary identity when you look at yourself, then when life gets hard, it's not going to throw you off. You're going to be ready for that because you knew I'm a soldier in the family of God. Good soldiers endure hardship because they expect it. Now, this is not a very fun point. Point number three is a tough pill to swallow. So we get point four. The passage ends on a wonderful note, happy note. Yes, life is hard. You've got to endure the pain. But in the midst of that pain, run for the prize. This is when it really gets good. Look with me at verse 4. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Well, we are all soldiers in active service in the kingdom of Jesus. And he is challenging us not to entangle ourselves in the affairs of everyday life. Affairs of everyday life, that just means all the stuff you got to do in this world. Like going to school and going to work and buying groceries and cooking food and and hanging out with friends and raising your kids and watching TV. All the normal things of life. Not bad things. These are good things that everyone does. Even soldiers, like U.S. soldiers do these things. There were U.S. soldiers at the game yesterday. Because it is okay for soldiers to go enjoy watching an Aggie football game. It's okay to participate in the affairs of everyday life. You can do that. The key is you don't let yourself get entangled in them. Entangled in Greek, it was a word used for when a sheep's wool got caught in briars and it couldn't move. It became immobile. It's okay for a U.S. soldier to go watch an A&M football game and enjoy it. 
It's not okay for him to leave his unit and join the A&M football team and make football his life. He can't do that. No, he's an owned man. He's a soldier. That must come first. Well, that's us. We're soldiers in the family of God. So we can participate in the affairs of everyday life. We can enjoy the affairs of everyday life. God wants you to go to school. He wants you to have a job. He wants you to have hobbies. He wants you to have friends. But he doesn't want you to allow any of those things to so entangle you, wrap you up, that you can't fulfill the mission he's called you to. Passing the baton to the next generation. That must come first. Soldiers' mission always comes first. So you got to keep this mission of passing the baton first in your life. But if you will, then what's the good news? What is the promise? You will please the one who enlisted you. That's Jesus. He enlisted us into his army. You will please him. What is that talking about? It's not talking about getting to heaven. You're going to heaven if you've trusted in Jesus. That's grace. That's once and for all, once saved, always saved. This is about what Jesus will say to you the moment you arrive in heaven. When you stand before Jesus, he will look at your life and you will please him in that moment if you have lived a life of faithfulness to the mission of verse 2. It tells us in Matthew 25, this is actually Jesus speaking. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What Jesus is saying, this is a metaphor, but but what he's saying to us is that if we live a faithful life here on earth, then when we stand before Jesus in heaven, he will smile. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done well. Enter into the joy, the happiness of your master. This is honor. This is reward. This is glory when we stand before Jesus. And the point of this verse is that whatever we have to give up in this life as soldiers in the kingdom of Jesus, it will be nothing. It will pale in comparison to the glory and honor that we will have when we stand before him. Live for Jesus now, it will be worth it in the end. Same points made in the next verse. Look at verse 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So think back to an Olympic race, an Olympic runner. An Olympic runner has to live a life of sacrifice, not just for days or months, but for years, if he or she is going to win the gold. You got to sacrifice. You got to deny your body the comfort it wants, in the sleep it wants, in the food it wants, in the ease that it wants. You have to sacrifice all kinds of things for a long, long time, but all of that sacrifice is worth it if you end up winning. The athlete who wins an Olympic gold isn't thinking about the sacrifice. When Usain Bolt won another gold medal, I guarantee you he did not grab hold of that medal and think to himself, boy, I sure wish I would have slept in. No. The the sleeping in day after day, it was forgotten. He didn't care about the sacrifice when he's holding the gold medal he just won. And that's the point Paul is making. Yes, as an athlete in this relay race that God has set for us, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot in this life. Those are the rules. There are no shortcuts to winning. You must sacrifice. But if you will sacrifice, all of the sacrifice will be worth it in the end. The sacrifice will pale compared to the glory you will have when you stand before Jesus. So run for that prize. Same point in the next verse. Verse 6, a third metaphor. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. 
hardworking farmer. Every farmer that's a successful farmer is hardworking. Lazy farmer is a bankrupt farmer. If you're a good farmer, you're working all the time. From sunup to sundown, constantly out there. You're not taking vacations. You're working incredibly hard. But if you work incredibly hard, what is the result? You receive the first fruits of the harvest. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you and me. We don't live in an agrarian society like they did. But back in Jesus' day, the first fruits was the best of the harvest. The very, very best, most valuable, most worthwhile that your field produced. You get it because you worked hard. And the point is the same as the previous two verses. If you work hard in this life for verse 2, passing the baton to the next generation, if that's what you live for, enduring all the hardship and all the sacrifice that that entails, then when you stand before Jesus, you will receive honor and reward that will make all of the sacrifice worth it. Got to understand, in God's economy, when we sacrifice something in this life, we are really not making a sacrifice. David Livingston, a famous missionary to Africa many years ago, said towards the end of his life, people talk of the sacrifice I have made. In spending so much of my life in Africa, it is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these things are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Whatever you give up in this life to follow the Lord Jesus and pass the baton of the Christian faith to the next generation will pale in comparison to the glory and honor you will receive when you stand before Jesus and he looks you in the eye and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You won't even remember all that you gave up in this life. It'll be nothing compared to the glory of that moment. That's success. That's what a successful life looks like. You stand before Jesus and he says, well done. If you want that kind of life, then these are your four steps. Begins with grace. Not with what you do, but with what Jesus has already done for you. You receive grace from Jesus through faith. And then once you've received that grace, every day you remember it. You remember it. You let it strengthen you. You let it give you you security and confidence and hope and power. And the grace Jesus has given you. Then strengthened with that grace, you dedicate your life to passing the baton of the Christian faith to the next generation. To your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your roommates, your classmates, your neighbors, anyone, you're passing the baton of Christianity. That is our mission. That is your job description in life. You are making disciples for Jesus Christ. As you do that, you will suffer. In fact, everyone suffers on this planet. You endure that suffering by expecting it, by recognizing in your mind, I am not a civilian in the family of God. I'm a soldier, and a soldier's life is hard. And so you expect it. It does not surprise you. It does not knock you off the tracks when suffering comes. And fourth, and in many ways most important, you run this race of life by looking forward to the next life. You got to understand, God wants you to be happy. Did you know that? God actually wants you to be happy, but not yet. No, not till the next life. 
Then Jesus says, come enter into the happiness of your master. My happiness I share with you for eternity. If you will simply live for me in the present. Live for the next life and you will be a success in this life. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God of light. You are a God of revelation. You have spoken clearly to us. You have not left us in the dark wondering how we should live. You have revealed clearly to us what success looks like. Thank you for that, Heavenly Father. We praise you that success in this life begins with your grace. That it's not about what we bring to you or do for you. It's about what you have already done for us. We praise you and thank you for the grace that Jesus has earned for us. Please help us to remember that grace, to believe that grace, and to be strengthened by that grace. We pray that in the strength of your grace that we would dedicate our lives, help us to give our lives to passing the baton of the Christian faith to the next generation. We pray that you would inspire some people sitting here this morning to actually give their lives by going overseas and taking the Christian faith to people who have never heard it, even if it costs them their lives. We pray for all the rest of us who stay here locally, Lord, that we would live a soldier's life, passing the baton of the Christian faith on to our kids, our grandkids, our roommates, our our neighbors, our co-workers, that we would be faithful to take the gospel and your word that we have received and carefully and intentionally pass it on to the next generation. We pray, Heavenly Father, that when life gets hard, that we would not be surprised by that. Help us to understand that we live a soldier's life, that it is hard and that it's going to be okay. Help us to run this hard race by keeping our eyes on the next life. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would captivate each and every one of us with the thought, with the hope of hearing from Jesus, well done. I pray that that promise would ring in our ears. And that we might live today and every day this week so to earn that opportunity to hear Jesus say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We praise you that we don't earn heaven, that that's a free gift, but we thank you for this opportunity to live for Jesus now. Help us to do that so that we might please him and earn from him honor and reward that lasts for eternity. Help us to be willing to delay our happiness now so that we might enter into the happiness of Jesus forever. Thank you, Heavenly Father. It is worth it. Your Son is worth it. Please help us to live for him above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Live a successful week. I'll see you next Sunday.